This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. If opening up your financial statement each month is about as exciting as watching paint dry... The Epic Wealth Fund may be the next investment opportunity for you. The Epic Wealth Fund invests in distressed real estate and shares the profits with its shareholders. If you're an accredited investor who has already enjoyed success elsewhere in their business or investing life, and you're seeking a broader exposure to real estate in your portfolio on a passive basis, the Epic Wealth Fund's executive summary is available for your review. Go to EpicWealthFund.com to review the fund's executive summary. EpicWealthFund.com Real estate investments involve a high degree of risk. Residential income and returns may vary and are not guaranteed. Past performance is no indication of future performance. Nothing herein shall be construed as investment, tax, legal, or accounting advice. This is Terrio Media. Broadcasting from Terrio Studios in Glendale, California, it's time for Epic Real Estate Investing with Matt Terrio. Uh, yeah, hello, and welcome. Welcome to Epic Real Estate Investing, the place where I show people how to escape the rat race using real estate. And what you need to do is just shift your focus from making piles of money to making streams of money. Change that one thing just one time and you are on your way to financial freedom. It's not the most exciting path. I promise you that. But it is the fastest. And that there is a promise as well. And once you get there, life then becomes exciting. And to take your first step to that exciting life, go to freerealestateinvestingcourse.com. FreeRealEstateInvestingCourse.com of where you'll learn the most valuable skill of a real estate investor. If you get this one skill down, boy, it, the money or the money, the, the world is your oyster. You actually got a cash register machine if you can adopt and, and uh, obtain this skill. And that skill being how to find motivated sellers. Why is that important? Well, the foundation of every deal lies within the seller's motivation to sell. So you got to know how to find that motivation and you have to know how to identify it. And that's what I show you how to do in this course, as well as everything else to bring it all together to collect a paycheck. All right. So go to freerealestateinvestingcourse.com, my free gift to you. And uh, I've got a great show for you today on how to use the multiple listing service, the MLS, to find motivated sellers. It's another approach. Uh, But before we begin, I've got another gift for you. As I was listening to a podcast this weekend, a podcast on podcasting, so as it be, um, they were sharing tips on being more productive. And they weren't really podcasting tips. They're more business tips. And and one of the tips that they gave had to do with doing a bulk unsubscribe off all of those unwanted email subscriptions that you're on. And uh, I don't know about you, but my Gmail inbox has become almost completely unusable. Because I get so many solicitations and so much useless information that all the stuff that I want to read, stuff that's important, gets lost and buried in my inbox. And and this year has been by far the worst. I think it's just, I've, I've reached critical mass. I've had so many years of this building up and that's just kind of the point where I can't even deal with it anymore. 
And many of you probably already know that because you've sent me emails and they've gone unanswered. And that's really for two reasons. The, the, the major reason is I get a lot of them and I don't know if I could really possibly respond to all of them. And the, the second reason is I get so many solicitations and this unwanted information that even if I did have the time, I probably still wouldn't answer your emails because I don't even get to see them because they end up on page two of my inbox typically within four hours of them landing there. So um, quick side note though, if you do want me to answer your emails, please just send me one or two questions. Leave out the, the three, four, five paragraphs, the, the three or four chapters of the pre-story to get to the question because I just that, that's what makes it impossible. That takes a really long time to go through. So just one or two questions and I will, and I will do my best to get back to you. No promises, but you got your chances of me getting back to you are far greater that way. Anyway, yesterday I took my first step to regaining control over my inbox and with one swoop, I unsubscribed to over 100 lists that I had been subscribed to. And I already noticed the difference this morning. I mean, just it was overnight and there was an obvious difference. So here's the site, unroll.me, totally free. I get nothing for this. This is just my gift to you because it was very liberating, this whole process. Unroll.me, just go there, type in your email address and it will search your inbox. Or I don't know if it searches your inbox or searches your internet or searches the internet for everything that you're subscribed to. And it magically brings it all up on one page. And then you'd have to go down that list and select every list that you want to unsubscribe to. And boom, you're done. All on one page. And if and you know what? If you see my name on there or the Epic Pro Academy or Cashflow Savvy and, and you do not want to receive information from me, please unsubscribe from me too. All right, I will not be offended. I'll actually be very appreciative if you do. And here, here's why. I, I want you to do that for two reasons. I don't know, maybe there, maybe I got three. Maybe there's even four reasons. First, the, the more people on my list, the more expensive it is for me each month. It takes money to um, database and warehouse all of those email, email addresses. So if you don't want to be on there, you're actually saving me money by unsubscribing, okay? Second is I don't want to send you information if you don't want to receive it from me. I don't want to be a pest to you. I want to be of service to you. So if the information you're finding that you get from me, and I don't even send out that much, if, if you're finding that of no value, then go ahead and unsubscribe. That's fine with me. I don't want to send, I don't want to bother you. And third, I'm really tired of receiving the nasty grams, the nasty emails from people complaining that I did not get their permission to send them information or that they, they never signed up for my, my emails or they're like, how did you get my list? I'm going to report you to the spam police, all that kind of stuff. Tired of receiving that stuff because the, the reason I'm tired of receiving those emails is because it's just not my fault that you signed up for something of mine and you forgot. And now you're taking it out on me like I'm trying to force you into something. If I have your email address, it's because you gave it to me. I'm sorry if you forgot that you gave it to me, but you gave it to me. That's the only way I would ever have it. And uh, having said that, I'll have you know, I'm no different. There's the irony. I do the same. And, and when I went to unroll.me of the, when I went there and, and I unsubscribed from the 100 plus lists, I bet 80 of them, 80 of those lists, 75, 80, maybe even 90. I don't know. I didn't really count, but it was the majority, vast majority of them. I had no recollection of ever signing up for. So I understand how you can forget but just kind of spare me the drama. It's going to be okay. There's an unsubscribe button in every single email I send out. It's a click and you're done. Or you just go to unroll.me and you can get rid of everything that you don't want to receive. Alrighty? You've got better things to do, right? Anyway, that's my gift to you today. One of many, unroll.me. I kept on going to unrollme.com and that is wrong. It will not get you there. It's unroll.me.
All right, so let's talk about real estate. This is a real estate podcast. After about you know four months of working directly, I don't know, it's probably half, six months now, and I'm not really thinking about it, of working directly and intensely with my virtual assistants. I've been sharing that with you here and there. And specifically on the, on the property acquisition side of my business, things are really starting to click. And the system that I set out to set up is actually closing deals on its own now without my involvement whatsoever. And that was the intention. That was uh, me having this declaration of wanting to put more of my business on the B side of the quadrant, of the cash flow quadrant by Kiyosaki. And that B side being the business side of where your business works with or without your presence. And I know I've played a few recordings here on the show of my VAs, um, of which none of those that I played for you, none of those turned into deals. So, But since things are starting to click now, I'm amassing quite the inventory of recordings of calls that have turned into deals. And I thought I'd start playing some of those for you right here so that you can learn from real-world experience. Not not real-world experience, because that's always been my intention, but this is real-world successful experience to see how good you have to be at this business to get it done. Or even better, how good you don't have to be to get this business done, to get results, because you don't have to be great. And, and then I have a special guest for you after that on the phone who's gonna share his system for using the multiple listing service to find motivated sellers And uh, we're going to get started in 30 seconds, right after this. Contrary to popular belief, a lack of funding is not the biggest barrier to starting a business. It's excuses. But don't let a lack of funding be your excuse. We are Epic Fast Funding, and we'd like to fund your business with up to $150,000 in revolving credit lines. If you've got 60 seconds and a solid credit score, you could have access to your funds in as little as seven days. Go to EpicFastFunding.com to fill out our 60-second application. It's fast, it's simple, up to $150,000 in as little as seven days. Go to EpicFastFunding.com. So this call, I'm going to play you this recording by my VA, Tony. Uh, I I believe I've played his calls here before. You'll probably hear a little bit of an improvement on him or from him. Um, This deal, this call that he's talking to, this turned into a $6,000 deal for me. $6,000 check is what we received. And uh, I know that's not anything to brag about. Uh, That certainly doesn't break any records. But you know what? It happened while I was on vacation. That's what makes it so sweet. Check it out. Hello? Uh, hi, this is Anthony. Uh, is this Adam? Yes. Oh, uh, yeah, I got your voicemail regarding a property that you're looking to sell. Uh, I think it's on uh, Noman Avenue. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, are you available right now? Because I have some questions about the property, and this will just take about five to ten minutes of your time. Sure, man. What's up? Yeah, I uh, just want to check. Um, you mentioned the, the address itself is 1901 uh, Noman Avenue, Euclid, Ohio. Would that be correct? Correct. And just want to check as well. This is a three-bedroom and uh, and one bath. Would that be right? Yes. I see. And does this property need any repair that you know of? Uh, the garage is a one-car garage that um, doesn't have a roof or a door. I see. And also, do you have a mortgage on this property? Nope. I see. 
and I think the taxes are being paid on time, right? They're current? Um, yeah, they're on a payment plan. Okay. And also, yeah, just one thing. You mentioned you're uh, selling it for 40 Would that be correct? Um, that's my bottom line. You know, I just had an appraisal done on it, uh, and it came uh -huh. back at uh, a little over 50 Um I just talked to the guy. He hasn't sent me the final appraisal yet, but uh, said he'd get it to me this week. Um, but he said that the properties in that area are typically selling for 60 to 65 with the uh, with the garage the way it is. He estimated, based on just the initial reaction, was uh, going to be over 50. Hmm. So as soon as I, I get that final appraisal, I could let you know. Um, what it's going to be. Yeah, that will work. Anyway, yeah. um, we're going to be doing some market devaluation as well on our end, and we're going to be checking the area. So normally we'll also get back to you within a day or two so we can give you an offer that is suitable with the price of the property. Yeah, itself. now listen, I, I had on one of my other properties, I had some guy do a similar thing as what you're doing. Basically how it works uh -huh. is you're going to give me a contract saying that uh, – that there's no money being deposited in escrow and you're going to buy the property for 40,000 in or closing date is in 30 days, blah, 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 blah. And then what you're going to do is you're going to market the property to your investors for 30 days. If you find somebody to buy it, you'll come through. If not, then we walk away. Is that correct? Actually, it depends because my boss is actually purchasing properties for cash because he is going to be using it for rentals. Right, but he's got to market it to his investors, correct? It depends. If it's not going to be needed in his um, portfolio, then he's going to be marketing it. But he, if he wants it, then he'll be the one to buy it. Okay. All right, yeah. I mean, I just I had another guy do the same thing with one of my other properties, and he marketed it to his investors for 30 mm -hmm. days, and then at the end of the 30 days, he bought it. So I just didn't know if this was the what, same uh, type of deal or not. What happened to that property? Was it sold or did did, did yeah, it rock away or something? Too. No, I sold it. Ah, it was sold. Yeah. <laughs> actually, it's actually the same thing, but the difference is that, as I mentioned, my boss is looking for properties. If he likes it, he buys it. But if he doesn't need it, he's going to be marketing it to other investors. Yeah, so same it. thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I've mm -hmm. got a couple properties, so I mean, I'm I'm pretty hip to how it works. I see. <laughs> anyway, can I also get your email address so we can easily mail you the offer? Yeah, it's live, L-I-V-E, the letter N, like Nancy, local, L-O-C-A-L, at. Got it. And also, can I get your uh, mailing address so that if in case we have everything set up, we can easily mail you the, uh, the, the paperwork? Yeah, it's 2450 Buckeye Boulevard, Ravenna, Ohio, R-A-V-E-N-N-A. Ohio four four two six six. Okay, got it. So I'll also call you back to check once you got that um, property review that you're working on, and yeah, also be calling you back within a day or two. Mm -hmm. All right, give me a couple of days. I'll have that appraisal. Got it. Thank All you right. for your time, Adam. Have a wonderful yeah, day. Bye. Now, what did you notice about that call? It was really short, right? Uh, we actually even uh, there wasn't. 
even a whole lot of motivation there. So we marked this lead as a suspect, thinking that uh, this probably was not going to be a deal. So we marked him as a suspect. He went through our system to the, the suspect department, and we just sent him an automated three-option letter of intent. Boom, just put it in the mail, forgot all about it, and went on calling the next leads. And uh, that three-option letter of intent, the cash offer there, I believe it came out to right around $34,000, $35,000. And if you heard, his bottom line was $40,000, was not it? This is why it's so important just to always write the offer, to always put the offer in writing, and you got to mail it. Email is okay if it's a last resort or in addition to, but you got to mail it because it changes the psychology of the entire conversation about this sale. So we we put it in the mail, 35000 even though he said his bottom line was 40000 and he accepted the $35,000. And then also, if you heard, he shared... Now, how many of you would have crumbled here? Uh, he shared how he's been through the process of working with another wholesaler. He knows how the whole business works. I got it. I know exactly how you're going to do it. He ran down the play-by-play and everything. And then and then when he asked if we were going to do the same thing, if we were going to market to other investors, Tony did a pretty good job in answering. He said, it depends. It depends. Like We want to hold, but if not, we'll go ahead and we'll market it. So it wasn't perfect. And I, you know, I, I went and uh, after I listened to this recording, I called Tony and, and we talked and I sent him a little script. And I coached him up a little bit. I just, I just want him to be a little bit more confident in what we do. I mean, he still got the job done, but I think it could have been better, especially if, with uh, if this person wasn't so, uh, I don't know, wasn't so open-minded. Um, and I wanted to be a little bit more confident and I wanted him to relay the benefit to the buyer. I think that's really important. For example, when he asked, is this what you're going to do? Are you going to take my property and just wholesale it? I coached Tony to say it a little bit differently like this. No, not necessarily. My boss is primarily looking to add rentals to his portfolio and your property fits his profile. If after his due diligence, it happens not to fit, no need to worry as he'll share your property with his network. He'll find you a buyer and get you your money anyway. After all, that's what's most important, right? That's how I coach him to say it. So it's not entirely different than what Tony said. It's just stronger. And it um, it asks for an agreement there at the end. Like, after all, that's what's most important, right? After all, getting you your money, that's what's most important, right? Mm, uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> right? So um, I coach him on that. And, and what I hope you got out of this whole section right here was, one, you don't have to be great at this to get deals done. Because Tony is good, but he's not great. And he, he gets a little better with each call, but he's certainly not anywhere close to being perfect. You, you, and so you don't have to be perfect. And, and it's really tough to, what I also want you to get out of this, it's really tough to say anything wrong to the right person. And the right person being a motivated seller. The foundation of every deal lies within the seller's motivation to sell. You know, at that initial call, this seller is saying, no, 40000 is my bottom line. We said, okay, whatever. That doesn't work for us. We'll send you an offer for thirty-five and see what happens. And boom, they, they, because that there was an actual motivation there, they accepted the offer. So what you've got to do is really just do it. Just do it, you know, and keep doing it. This short little call resulted in a $6,000 profit. And there was no magic here, was there? There wasn't. And hopefully you can take that and say, okay, I can do this. If that guy calling from halfway around the world in the Philippines can get this business done, I certainly can do it because I live here and I know how to do this. I can do this, right? 
Hopefully you take that confidence from here, from that example. Alrighty, so our guest today has used this particular strategy, this strategy that has made his business and many others absolutely explode just by using the multiple listing service as his primary deal source. Finds deals other ways, like that you should only, you should have a multi, multiple ways of finding deals, but this is his primary source and it saved him and his students thousands of dollars. Ah, oh, gosh, I mean, if we used only the multiple listing service, it might send, save us hundreds of thousands of dollars, but it saved his, he and his students thousands of dollars at least on private seller marketing. And, and that's what I, why I've asked him to come here on the show and share with you today, just as an, an alternative. So I'll get him prepped and we'll be back right after this. There are two steps to wealth. First, stop doing what poor people do. Second, start doing what wealthy people do. The wealthiest people do what they do best and delegate the rest. If only you had the time and resources to do it. Now you do. We're VAsforrealestate.com and we have some free information for you. Get the five-step shortcut to hiring a rock star virtual assistant that will make you millions. Go to VAsforrealestate.com. Stop doing what poor people do and do what wealthy people do. VAsforrealestate.com. And on the phone, I'm joined by MLS dominator, Mr. Jim Huntsicker. Jim, welcome to Epic Real Estate Investing. Thank you for having me, man. Looking forward to it. Glad you're here. How's the weather in Chicago? It's good, man. Today, it's actually like 75. It's perfect. It's like perfect fall day. It's awesome. That's nice. I just got back from Nashville, and uh, it was like 68, and it was just such a pleasant experience because it's still 100 degrees here today and it's been 100 degrees for like three months it's been really hot summer for us yeah fall is my favorite time of year especially here it's all the trees just i love it it's just a good time of year right are you a football fan college football fan no college no but i do uh yeah the um well you know i'm a bears fan because of where i'm from but it's difficult to be one these days but i am a bears fan right yeah, it all t- it goes in cycles. It's tough to be a Lakers fan right now, and <laughs> that's uh, we're so used to winning. And I know you guys have a, a great history used to winning. Um, share with me. Uh, give me a little bit about your background and and how you got involved in this thing called real estate investing. Yeah, so I started about ten years ago as an agent. I'm still a licensed agent here in Illinois, but okay. um, I was doing. My my father was an agent too, and so long story short, when you get in the business as an agent, you call your friends and family. That's who you hit up first for business. Right. Well, I didn't have that luxury because my father was a you know he had all our friends and family already working with him, so I would have to steal his business as he was still you know still in the business. So I I had to find other people to work with. So I found real estate investors, and um, it took me about you know six, eight months of working with these real estate investors, finding them deals and selling them. And they would make like a $30,000 check and I would make like a little commission. So it didn't take very long to realize I was on the wrong side of that transaction. And uh, that's what <laughs> Sounds I exactly like my story. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. I just, one day I said, I'm sitting on the wrong side of the desk here. This is not, uh, <laughs> this is not where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean heck, well, I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with making three grand or, you know, whatever the, on that deal. There's nothing wrong with that. But when, you know, I created the spread for the guy who just made 30, uh, at least I felt that way or I could do it. And so <clears throat> anyway, yeah, that's how it started. And so I started, you know, rehabbing myself. It's my first deal, actually, I got, a, I got a great start. It's terrible, but it's good for, you know, for learning for people that are listening. My first deal, I I, I was going to lose money on. I had, because I had worked with these investors, I'm like, I could do this myself. And so I didn't, I didn't have any education, but I knew I was an agent. I had MLS access. I'm like, I could do all this. So my first deal, I was about to lose. I didn't know how much. It ended up being about 35 grand. But I didn't know that at the time, but I just I was very desperate. So that's part of how I got into my first deal that I made money on 
which is my second deal, and it was listed for four hundred. I didn't have any money. I didn't have a proof of funds. I didn't have the earnest. I had nothing. But I was desperate because that first deal that I did put together, I knew I was going to lose money on. I didn't have any money to lose. So, the property was listed at four hundred. I ended up getting it for three hundred. Actually, listed for four forty. I'm sorry, four forty. Thirty one percent off list price. I got it for uh, three hundred thousand. And that when they accepted it, now I didn't have the earn, I didn't have earnest money. That I put five thousand on the contract. I didn't have the money to buy it, and um, I found an equity partner. We ended up splitting the deal fifty fifty because the deal was so good. But you can't make this stuff up. The, the one that I had that I was going to lose money on closed on Friday. I lost thirty five grand. But the day before on on Thursday, literally one the day before I. I closed on the second deal that I did where I made well, that, that profited about 70, 75 grand and half that was mine. I lost it all the next day and then I've never turned back and I've been involved in, you know, 450 deals since. But, uh, that is the, I mean, I literally like they could have closed three days apart. They could have closed a week apart. They were literally one day apart the day that I, I made my first dollar as an investor and I lost it all the next day. <laughs> and now, you know, now I've never looked back since. And, uh, but that's just, it's a great story about how I got started. Cause I thought, you know, and in that process, I got educated. I went and learned more about real estate investing, how to flip, how to deal with contractors, how to bid jobs and all that stuff that I thought that I didn't need to know or I didn't know that I didn't know. So anyway, that's the, my, the, the beginning story of how I got started. So I always like to start with you know, the story of how you know, I lost money because not that you should do that, but I didn't get, educate myself. I was stupid. And so I always recommend everybody that, you know, everybody who's listening, I'm sure is getting educated. And that's why you're listening. But it was such a huge thing for me. I thought I, because I was an agent, I thought, I thought, I thought, well, I was wrong. And so once I got educated, then I you know learned how to make money as an investor. Right, it's funny. One of probably the most common question I get from brand new people is, should I go get my license or not? And it's just amazing on how different actually real estate agents and real estate investors are. How that those two different fields are, are so far apart. I mean, there's a small little overlapping gray area between the two, but really tiny, they are just tiny they're, little. Tiny, but they're two completely different worlds. It right? is. It's not yeah. even because you, if you try to talk to an agent about you know the, your investment life, they have no clue about what we do. Right. Right. They hardly have any clue about what they do. <laughs> That's true. Well, the average <laughs> agent only does three deals a year. I mean, I'm, right. the average right. agent in the National Association of Realtors does three deals a year, which right. is embarrassing, but it's true. And we did that today, right? Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Cool. So, all right. So, um. You know, you have this thing, and I've seen you around the internet, and I'm always looking uh, for for new ideas and new ways to generate leads, to generate deals, because there's there's an endless way, amount of ways to do it. There's a couple big big places that probably predominantly you can get most of your leads from. But uh, another place where brand new investors think about is, you know, let's look on the multiple listing service, and you have this thing called MLS domination, and and I just. I'm intrigued. I want to know all about it. How, how are you pulling deals with equity off the MLS when the rest of the world is looking at the same deal? And how do you know the difference between it, a good one and a bad one? Yeah, man. It's like, it's like so that's all I knew at the beginning. When I started this, like I said, well, I wasn't really educated as a real estate investor. All I knew was the MLS. That's all. I didn't know about private seller marketing. I didn't know about bandit signs. I didn't know about all the different ways to go to the RIAs and meet wholesalers. I didn't even know what a wholesaler was or what they were doing. And because it was an agent, I actually probably thought it was illegal because that's what most of them think. <laughs> but it's not, by the way, because you could wholesale the MLS too. But, um, so that's all I knew. And so I, when that first deal that I told you about that I was losing money on, 
that was uh, a deal that was in the MLS, and it was a bad one because I lost money, but the second one was also in the MLS. And what that deal, the reason I tell people about those deals is it's true and that first one I bought it for four four it was listed at four forty I bought it for three hundred that's thirty one percent off the list price. Now it was on the market for three hundred and fifty days. It was um I looked up the tax record, the public record, I saw it was paid off. And so I knew it was possible to get it for less. I just didn't know how much. And and I I didn't have so the reason I was I put the offer at three hundred and stuck to it. I didn't have a choice because I couldn't afford to buy it. I didn't have the money. I didn't. Have, I, I expected them to reject the offer. Quite honestly, I, there's no way I I did not think it was coming together. They came back at four twenty. I stayed at three hundred. Then you know four hundred, three eighty, three sixty, three forty, three twenty. I always stayed, stayed, and they accepted my three hundred. I couldn't. I couldn't believe it myself that they accepted it. Mm-hmm. I, I was shocked, and so. But what I realized from that is I went and saw the property three times. The the, the homeowner was home because it was an owner occupied property, and but that taught me something. Like I've done that thirty times since. I've been doing this, you know, as an investor now for about seven years. I could go. I call it fishing. If I need a deal, and I'm like, I, I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go. I go in the MLS and I look. There's an art to like to, to get a deal like that. It's, it's not. My wife has since deemed it my my acting career because she used to be in the car with me when I would I'd go see these houses. My wife would be with me. This is pre kids, and. Then I'd call the agent up and be like, "Oh, I just saw your house over on Cherokee. Man, do I love that house! But it's priced at like four hundred, and I, I don't I mean, I don't want to insult anybody, but I, I really like it. I, I don't know. I don't think we're gonna put an offer. It's a little too high for us. And then um, usually the agents, because most agents suck, will say, "Oh yeah, yeah, you know, if you're gonna come in too low, don't, don't you know, because they're lazy or they don't know how to negotiate or they don't know how to talk to their seller to get them down." So what I do is I then I'll, then I call and schedule another showing. I don't go to that showing, but they think I do. And after that scheduled showing, I'd call and be like, oh, I just thought again, man, do I like that property? I love that neighborhood. You guys are at 400. I'd be closer to three. I just, do you think, do they be open to an offer or, and then I am fishing with this acting that I do. And it's, it's all sincere. It's, it's never lying or it's always genuine. It's just, mm-hmm. I'm really kind of putting it on for them, you know, so that they, you know, I need them to take that emotion back to the seller of how interested I am, right. but I need them to get to my price, right? So usually it takes about three times. And what I'm, what I'm trying to do with this particular type of sale, because there's other ones I'll get into in a second, but with this sale, because it's my favorite one, these are the, like, when I get these deals, I love it. It just like, it keeps me going. And, uh, <clears throat> So I'm fishing for the agent to say, hey, just, just bring us an offer. We'll get this thing together. I know you're going to be off. Just just bring me an offer. I want them to ask me for the offer. So then when I give them my offer, like this, the best deal I ever got was listed for 400 and I bought it for 273 which is 32% off the list price. Now, again, 300-plus days of market time. That property was originally priced at 550 down to 400 and I bought it for 273 And get this, the, the agent, after she told me to bring the offer in, I came in at 273 and I, I say the same thing I always do after they get pissed off is, hey, based on what I do with the property, this is the most I can pay. They don't have to accept it, and you don't have to be happy about it, but this is the most I can pay for what I want to do with this property. And that particular deal, she called me back in 10 minutes, accept it. Literally, there was no negotiation. They just accepted it. We closed in two weeks. And so I've done that over and over and over again. 32% of my record as far as, I mean, but there's times that stuff comes on the market that I pay over list price because the brand new listing they underlisted it and I can pay over. And there's a different line of communication that I talk to with that agent because, like, on an estate sale, which is my favorite sale in the MLS, a new estate sale, you know, they're going to get multiple offers, and so. With estate sales, for instance, like the last one I did, I, I was it was priced at like one one sixty nine. The most I could pay was one sixty. This was not over list price, but one sixty. And they came back to me. The agent came back to me, and, and because of the, the the 
conversations I had with the agent initially, um, she said, hey, I, you're at 160. I know you told me that's your highest offer, but I, we have two other cash offers that are at 170 and 175. But the sellers really liked what you had to say, that they liked what you're going to do to the property. They liked you're going to put a family in there because all my houses sell to families because I sell retail, right? That's mm-hmm. who buys my houses where I, where I work is all young families. So... That, they're, they're happy to hear that there's families, and I know what I'm doing because I'm, I'm a seasoned investor. And, but can, can, you, can you match the 175 because they want to sell it to you? And here's what I say. This is what gets me half the time when my offer is not the highest cash offer. This is how I get it. I say, just like I told you before, 160 is the most I could pay. And you want to stick to your guns on that because you want to make sure that they don't think there's room for you to move. But I, I say, hey, I can get my work done as cheap as anybody, right? So let's just assume that the guy at 170 and 175 can get the work done as cheap as me. So we can all get the work done for the same price. I know there is no way I could pay more than 160. So what are the odds that if you accept that 170 or 175 offer, that in the inspection, which I've waived, by the way, at this point I've waived my inspection rights, so I, I cannot ask for any inspection credit. Well, these guys haven't, and I know that they haven't. So what are the odds they don't ask for some crazy, ridiculous $20,000 inspection credit because they realize they overpaid for the property in the process? And you might come back to me in two weeks, and I say, hey, you know what, 160 was good, but I actually spent that money on something else. Or I might say, you know what, I'm actually at 150 myself. That's all I could pay. But today, I can waive the inspection, and I can close at 160, and I can close in two weeks. And so that's that, that, having that kind of dialogue with the agent, it, you know, knowing your stuff, but being professional, you know, you got to be confident without being cocky, and um, that gets me deals that when I'm not the highest cash offer, that's how I get it done because they they want to, you know, there's there's security in some sellers. Now there's some sellers that will always take the highest cash offer, so it doesn't right. always work. Right. But there's some security that you know that if, if you if you communicated properly, there's a security in, in in closing without trouble, and that's what that, that there's more value in that to some people than there is more money. So it just depends on the seller. Got it. So. So and then so those are my two favorite sales, right? So there's there's one other great. I mean, I can go all day long about how to use the MLS, but the sure. smaller are well, your let's, agents. Let, let's um, let, okay, we'll talk about that. We'll come right back to that. But I have yeah, a few yeah, yeah. questions I wrote down here. Um, all right, so you're looking on the multiple listing service, and me just thinking, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. Sure, I'm thinking like, God, with all these houses, how do you identify which ones to start? analyzing first do you go by you kind of mentioned it maybe do you go by days on the market exclusively or the, what else do you no, look no. for that's only when i'm fishing right if i'm fishing like if i like if i'm looking to buy deals and there's nothing that's kind of, kind of jumping out to me in my normal searches mm-hmm. i'll go fishing for and i'll start with just market time and I, and I don't put any of my other criteria in the primary way i use the mls well all my automatic searches that are set up mm-hmm or set, you know, geographically, of course, for different towns, sure. or sometimes subdivision, you know, like specific streets, you know, depending on what, you know, what area I'm buying or what I'm trying to buy. So I generally, I'll have, you know, six to ten different searches set up that are automatic searches. But those I, I pull, uh, there's a keyword search, you know, that you can pull from the remarks. And so that's, that, that's the primary focus, so that, you know, because there's, because the, the MLS, I'm sure everybody knows what the MLS stands for. It stands for Motivated List of Sellers, right? <laughs> well, it's not. It's multiple listing service. But uh, but the, it's the largest list of, because everybody in there wants to sell. I mean, if you do direct mail, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're, you're, you're looking for property and you do direct mail and you get 3% response, you are ecstatic with that, right? That's a good, that's a good response. You're happy with that. Well, I don't know if you're ecstatic, but it's, it's acceptable. Right. And 
so the MLS is no different. Like maybe three to five percent of the properties that come in there, we can actually buy. Most of them don't qualify for what we do. So it's you know looking through the MLS for <clears throat> pulling the keywords out. You know like REO or foreclosure as is needs work TLC. You know there's all these keywords that we use that we plug into the remark section, and that's what it searches by. So we search by remarks, and then we search by the geographic area we're looking in, and then you know sometimes a price range. But in, in my area, that I don't put a price range in because I'll. I'll buy anything as long as I can, you know, flip it on the on the uh, on the other side and make money. So I don't look. I I don't put a price range. I just put a geographic area, and keywords. Okay, got it. All right. So you you've got your custom searches set up, and mm-hmm. then uh, let me ask you on like say if you're looking days on market or or like times when you know right now the the real estate market is, is pretty hot, especially on the retail side. Inventory is really low in most parts of the country. Um, do you make any adjustments for that or does this always work or you just have to kind of ebb and flow with the market? I mean, it's changed every year I've been doing this. I started doing it in 2008, probably the worst time to do it. (laughs) I didn't know that at the time. Actually, it was a blessing, but, um, uh, it's changed every year, every year. My, you know, like right now, like literally I just said, I just came from a lunch appointment. And right now, uh, I'm only, I was doing high-end stuff, you know, a couple of years ago. I got into stuff selling it only over, you know, my, my area high-end is 600 and over. And so um, that, that market died last year. It's still dead. It's still very slow here. So I transferred back to the low-end market of, you know, just the stuff that, like, we could sell at 150, 170. And uh, there's challenges there with financing right now. So now I'm back to all I am looking for. It ha- the after-repaired value, the ARV, has to be between 3 and 5. That's all I'm buying currently. So it changes all the time. I, what I'm looking for, like, I adjust my searches, I change stuff. And even beyond that, those auto searches I have set up that are pulled from the keywords, I still have VAs <clears throat> that are pulling uh, virtual assistants that I have, or could be your office assistant or whoever. It used to be me when I started. Mm-hmm. That I do three times a day. I check automatically in my, my hot markets. Like my office is in Schaumburg, Illinois, for instance. That's an area I grew up in, so I know it very well. So I will buy anything I can get my hands on in Schaumburg. I know the market. I can look at it in two seconds and know. So I check every listing that comes up in Schaumburg three times a day. And there's other, other markets I do that in, too. So I do manual checks with no filters other than the geographic area three times a day to pull listings. that could Because what you get is with those estate sales, which are my favorite sale in the MLS, once in a while you'll get an agent, you know, probably one of those agents that sells one or two houses a year, that thinks they're doing their client service by listing a house that was, you know, has not been updated since 1960, but it's totally immaculate, like super clean. The oven looks like it's never been used, you know, like a time capsule. But still, it's not moving ready. Well, I mean, I guess it is moving ready, but nobody would move right into that, even though it's clean, it's from 1960. So they're selling this as this nice house, moving ready, bring your family, and there's none of my keywords are in the remarks because they're they're selling it as a nice house. So I bought, you know, every year I buy a handful of properties that miss my keyword search because they're trying to sell a crappy property or, or a, a property that fits my criteria as a rehab as a nice property. None of my keywords are in the remarks. So that's why I recommend, you know, still checking it three times a day manually. Okay. Got it. All right, so a couple other things came up for me there. Let's go back. You said um, you get about 3% 
of the deals you, you look at or the ones that you buy? Is no, it- 10. So all, all the deals I actually put offers on, it's, it's 10%. 3%. I was using a number of like, you know, comparing it to direct mail oh, yeah. when I said 3%. I, I, I get about 10% of my, so if I, if I want to buy five properties, I got to put out 50, 50 offers. And these are strategic offers. These are not, right. you know, offer bot style offers. You know, we're just kind of randomly throw them out. I'm talking, you know, I've never put an offer out ever in my life. I've never put an offer, whether it be a, as an agent, when I was working for clients, I've never, you can't hide behind an email or a machine if you're going to steal these properties away or even if you have to pay over list price if it's a new listing what it doesn't matter if you're if you're going to try to get it for 30 percent under list price or you're going to pay 10 grand over list price having communication with the agent is key to getting that those deals done and so um uh the the i get about 10 percent of what i put out if i want to buy one i got to put out 10 offers i know that got it okay because i was going to say even 10 percent on the multiple listing service are, are extremely good numbers uh, but you're, the 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 difference I, I'm hearing is that you've got this communication with the agent. You're selling the emotion to the agent, which I think is great. Um, in your offers, you're waiving the inspection rights, which I think is fantastic strategy. And then you warn the the, the agent of what the other guy is likely to do. So he might accept a lower price, but he's going to come back and and or accept a higher price, but he's going to come back and negotiate with you later. And then you also use the close, uh, your speed of close as a negotiating factor as well. Yep, and that that you know that this is all. It's not like I'm making stuff up with the other what the other guy's going to do. That's happened over and over when I started my you know started my investing career. Agents would call me back and tell me that happened. You right. know, like, oh, we didn't take yours because you know this offer was higher. But then in the inspection, they asked for some crazy credit. So is your offer still good? That happened to me so many times. I'm like, crap, I got to start pointing this out to the agents. So they may not believe me or they may not take my offer, but at least I gave them a heads up that it's possible. Mm-hmm. And so doing that after it's happened so many times, um, it you know agents started they, they started taking my offer when I wasn't the highest offer because I opened their eyes to what's possible. Right. You know, I, I can, that's just proper communication. It's no, crazy, I, but. I believe you 100% because I was four years an agent myself. And I, I started as an agent in 2001, 2002. And for, for four years, I mean, I was in Los Angeles market, probably one of the more competitive markets at that time where inventory, like we only had, I think, like 21 days of inventory. At any given time. So every time, I mean, I can, I totally relate with you of of refreshing the listings like three, four times a day. Because as soon as one came up, boom, I was in my car, I was on my way out there. And then I was calling my clients on the way there to meet me there so we could write the offer right on the front doorstep. Right. And so... I, that, that's what I learned and that's the environment that I learned how to be an agent. So a lot of the things that you're saying are really resonating with me as far as um, what's so important, most important to a listing agent is almost the certainty of close is more important than the price that they get. Without question. Yes. They just want to know it's going to close. And when you have an enthusiastic buyer and I love how you're, you're selling the emotion and you put your wife in the car and you're, and you're presenting yourself as the, the, the people that really love the neighborhood, I, that goes a long way, a long, lot further than I think most people realize if they don't have real estate agent experience. It's huge. I mean, it is like, it's, I mean, my wife called it my acting job, but I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't being disingenuous. I was being completely genuine. Actually, I was over, I was pouring it on. I was really overdoing it, but it was all genuine. I wanted to buy the house. I love the neighborhood. I'm a, I'm a rehabber. You know, like I was all, but I was like really pouring it on because I want, I need the agent to take the emotion that I'm giving them back to their seller so that you get excited after 360 days on the market. It's hard to get excited about anything. You're just like, get rid of this dang house. And 
And so uh, that's that's the goal. The goal with what I was doing was trying to get this, this the, get the emotion into the agent, so she gets excited or he gets excited, and then takes it back to the seller, so they get excited. And then when my offer comes in, they're like, "Oh, but we need to sell it," and they're excited. And so it doesn't always work. I mean, it, 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 I'm not saying that that's a fail proof; it's going to work every time. But man, I have done that so many times over the years, and it, and it works. Got it. You know, I've got a few more minutes, Jim, and I want to touch on a few things here real quick. Sure. And then. Uh, the one thing was, all right, so one out of 10, you're getting accepted. The key there, the, the distinction there I'm hearing from you that's different than from almost everyone else I've talked to that does this a similar strategy is that you have a lot of interaction with the agent. So that's number one takeaway. Second thing is there's a lot of deal analysis here and there's a lot of contract writing. Are you doing that? Do you have an automated system for that or do you have a VA? How, how do you... Yeah, well, my assistant, my, I mean, she, she works mostly from home, but I mean, it's an assistant that used to work in my office. She still does work in okay. the office, but she's mostly from home now. And yeah, I haven't written an offer in like six years. Like, so I don't even know what our contracts look like anymore. All I do is I text her with the address, the price, the rest is filled out already. You know, the, the contracts are already, they're done. Like our, our contract here in Illinois is 13 pages. Mm-hmm. So that like, that's the difference between the private seller market and the, the, you know, the MLS is you can't use your one page or two page contract like you use with private sellers. You have to use the board contract that the realtors expect. So it's 13 pages. And so we, we have it, you know, in a P, in a, you know, Adobe, do we just plug it in and put the address in the bottom of every page, you know, put the, the, the offer price and submit it with a proof of funds. Uh, but I, I never want that offer to go out before, you know, I've talked to the agent. So, um, yeah, I, I, I basically I have a VA, I have a virtual assistant that, that does all my offers and submits them all for me, but not before I call. I'm always calling, letting him know the offer is coming in, want to discuss it with him a little bit because give him a heads up that if it's going to be low or if it's going to be high over list price, either way I want to talk to him and let them know what to expect it and talk to him let them know that I'm a, you know, Seasoned investor, just you know, just right. build some rapport with them. I mean, sure. you just got to build little build relationships with these agents. They want to work with somebody who's going to close on the deal. Your whole goal with talking to the agent is they have to take back to the seller that you're the offer they should take. Got it. Okay, so the next, the big elephant in the room is is this audience is primarily built of real estate investors, and most of them don't have a license. How do they go about implementing your strategy if they don't have access to the multiple listing service? Well, I recommend getting uh, access to multiple listings. There's several ways to do that without getting your license. The, the, the most common way that I've found that my friends of mine that are investors have done is they become an assistant. I know you can't see my air quotes over here, but they come they become an assistant to a licensed agent, and then you get your full access to everything that I see you could see. And so, uh, like, my assistant has full access to the MLS. She could see everything. Right. So that's one way. But do you guys have Redfin? Does that exist where you are in California? Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know if Redfin. I know it wasn't always nationwide, but it might. Their, their system, their MLS is incredible. And like their, their site, uh, I mean, it's, it's, I know they're a real estate company, but I mean, that for people that are just getting into it, I mean, it's a great site to use. They, they, I had clients that were using that, Redfin, that knew about listings before I did. Like, they were so up to date, it was incredible. Um, but I mean, anybody who's flipping on, on any kind of serious level should have an agent on their team anyway. Right. So, right. you know, if you if you have an agent that you work with, pay, I mean, every MLS allows for the agents to have an unlicensed assistant that gets access. So, if you have an agent you're working with that you have a relationship with that you know, I mean, my buddy, one guy pays a uh, thousand, one guy pays fifteen hundred plus the MLS dues. Like our MLS dues are for my assistant in Illinois are three fifty a year. And so my buddies that are here, they pay like one guy pays a thousand plus the three fifty, the other guy pays fifteen hundred plus the three fifty to an agent, and they get their access that way. So I highly recommend doing. It's an easy way to do it if you're you know if you're selling houses now and you're selling them you know on the MLS, you obviously have an agent you have a relationship with. Approach that agent and you know see if you can get access that way. But you know I, I have to, people don't realize if you get your license, 
you do, because I, I get asked a question all the time, too. Should I become a real estate agent, like, you know, from new investors? And I say, absolutely not. It can't hurt to get your license. Don't get, get a real estate license. Do not become a real estate agent. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> because there's a difference there, right? <laughs> right, right. Getting, getting licensed to become, you know, real estate agent is, is an occupation. Like getting licensed is just something, a tool you use for your real estate investing business. You should do that. Don't become a real estate agent. Cool. All right, Jim, I got to wrap this up, but I know you do have a course on, on exactly your strategy and your techniques, and I know you got lots of tricks. I can, just, I can tell by the way you're talking that uh, we've just uh, uh, touched the surface there. If someone wanted to learn more about what, what you do and your course, where should they go? They should go to uh, MLSDominationLive.com, MLSDominationLive.com. We'll be, that's uh, be a page that'll tell more information about it. And, uh, yeah, and they, they can find out there, you know, there you'll, I teach more on the REO, the smaller REO agent, which is the biggest, most consistent stream of deals. When you meet them in the right way, you'll let them double on the deal, meaning getting both sides of the commission. Uh-huh. How to approach them. I, there's tips there about how to meet them when you've never, even if you've never done a deal in your life, I can give you tips on how to meet these smaller REO agents. Uh, so, very, really good stuff. We did just scratch the surface. I mean, we could talk all day about this stuff. Uh, so, uh, yeah, go check out MLSDominationLive.com. There's more information there. Will do. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for uh, your generous sharing of information. And uh, let's do this again sometime. Sound good? Sound good, buddy. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me on. You bet, Jim. Have a good day. You know how some people want to invest in real estate, but they don't know how? Oh, yeah. And you know how some people want to invest in real estate, but they don't have the time? Oh, yeah. And you know how some people want to invest in real estate, and they simply don't want to do all that work? Oh, yeah. Do you know someone like this? Mm Mm-hmm. Perhaps that someone is you? Uh, yeah. If so, subscribe to the Turnkey Real Estate Investing Podcast, the show for busy people who want to invest in real estate but don't have the time or the desire to take on the heavy lifting. Turnkey Real Estate Investing. Subscribe today. It's free. Yeah. Turnkey Real Estate Investing. That's it for today. I'll see you next week on Epic Real Estate Investing. I'm Matt Terrio, living the dream. You've been listening to Epic Real Estate Investing, the world's foremost authority on separating the facts from the BS in real estate investing education. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to visit iTunes and share your thoughts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time here at Epic Real Estate Investing with Matt Terrio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.